This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. Hey, here's a special treat. I'm joined today by fourth-year medical students. Uh, say hello to Liza Mann. Hello. Derek Bradley is here. Sup, gang? Jesse White returns for his second ever show. Hi, everybody. And uh, we hope to have Abby Fife joining us. Not sure if she's going to make it. You know, these these M2s, they're busy. You know what I'm saying? No. Oh, I forgot that you can't see eye rolls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome. You guys are, uh, are um, uh, feeling a little bit of freedom, I gather, from our pre-show discussion life's good yeah. yeah right now right now right now it is get your rank list to put together and and uh it turn in by fe- what, f- end of february february 26th at yes. 8 p.m so uh yeah you're just sort of you're just sort of sorting through things trying to figure it out sleeping a lot yeah alcohol <laughs> what's the weirdest thing you saw on the interview trail in Durham, uh, they gave you like a pamphlet of like, what's cool in Durham? Check all this out. And there's like Duke in the basketball court. And they're like, lemurs. And I was like, lemurs? They have lemurs. I, lemurs, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, tell me more about these lemurs. And apparently it's the world's largest concentration of lemurs outside of Madagascar. Some dude has this sanctuary for lemurs. Is that affecting your rank list at all? Ah, it makes Durham a little more tempting. Mm-hmm. hmm I could see. I'm a big lemur guy, personally. I could, so, I mean, if you told me it was, like, giraffes or something, I'd be like, well, you yeah. know. Okay. Long necks. What the, you know, yeah. big, big deal. Like, like Zabumafu? I mean, yeah. I'll hang out with my boy. Um, what about you guys? Did you experience any interview trail weirdness? I would say the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind is that uh, I had a... I won't name the program because no that's best yeah i was i'll leave them nameless and besides i probably won't go there but i had a program where the interview dinner we were in a separate room and by that time it was right around christmas so everything was all nicely decorated there was this like 15 foot tree that was super nice um and i went to grab some water that was close to the tree and i grabbed the water i go to turn to my table and out of nowhere this 15 foot tree falls <gasps> on the ground and all the ornaments shatter oh my god no and this is like within the first two minutes of everybody meeting each did other did you do this no it was not me uh-huh. it, was it was not i promise you were standing near he was it grabbing the, the, a water i say near i say the tree. i say that because the it the way it fell had i not moved within the five seconds prior to grabbing that water I would have been in the direct line of that tree nice. so it would have fell on me which would have been you know a whole great like was time the, was the water you were grabbing at the base of the tree and was there a tree <laughs> trunk in it it was it was not at the base of the tree 
whatever thing, whatever contraption was holding this tree up clearly had like faults. Yeah, I there was no safety uh, code. You know, was I would discard that institution completely from I, my rank. No, for real. I saw that and I was like, this is a bad omen. You can't trust it. Bad omen. Yeah. Like right off the bat, this is happening right now. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. I can't. I can't go here. I, I still so. don't believe you. I think you channeled your inner like cat, where they just like get into everything. You're like, oh, there's a puddle of water under there. I got to get under this tree and screw everything up. I'm just what uh, an icebreaker. I'm a, yeah. Well, I'm imagining like the whole, you know, the whole group of whoever you were hanging out with, like turning around and seeing Jesse White there with a glass of water. <laughs> Shark right, glass right flying into to, the air. Right next to a decimated tree. <laughs> Just a one big, like... You're not getting it. You're, no, you're I'm not, not going there. Even if you ranked that program. No, no. Nah, nah. Even they saw that. They probably looked at me like, mm, <laughs> That was you, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it wins. <laughs> We're weird folk. Oh, that's so sweet. That's a good story. Um, All right. Well, uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you have a few minutes uh, or a, f- a few moments in your lives to um, take a break. Come on the show. I have a listener question uh, from an anonymous listener that uh, I'm calling Salutes McGee because they have a question about the mil- military community here at Iowa. Just in I'm general. a new listener oh. to podcasts in general, but love yours makes my mornings better as I drive to work. I am interested in attending CCOM in the very near future. Currently, I am in the military, balancing work with school as I am pursuing a master's in biomedical science. During the time that it takes to apply to medical school and finish my current degree program, I am planning on securing employment that would allow me to readjust to the scientific world. I have been away from it for years, especially scientific research. I was wondering if there was a veteran community on campus, and if so, what were their experiences translating military skills to medicine? Or, alternatively, do you have any advice for non-traditional students? Do you have any additional study tips and or tricks to help balance a full-time job with school, as it can be a struggle at times? It's a lot of questions there. <sighs> Salutes. Salutes, McGee has a very sultry robotic voice. Well, I mean, I'm you impressed. Know. Uh, okay, I don't know if we can, if any of us can t- speak to... The, their experiences translating military skills to medicine. But let's speculate. Right? You guys have friends that are in the military? I'm, I have no connection. One person that we know <laughs> is has had has been in the military in the past, not currently active duty. Yeah, Kaylin. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylin Campbell, yeah. um, who was on the show last week. We decided that her uh, her voice, just her commanding presence, uh, <laughs> would, would suit her well as a as a surgeon. Surgeon, all the way through. Um, so there's a skill, you know. Yeah. Um, I well, I mean, I th- first of all, I feel like being in the mil- like having not been in the military. I'm gonna. This is total speculation on my part. I apologize if in some way that I don't understand, I offend people in the military, but I'm going to guess that military service is uh, at times difficult. And so one skill that you would have is uh, coping with adversity. Resilience. Resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is an incredibly important skill in medicine, and it will be for years after you begin your study of medicine. So we were just talking about how some residency programs um, are very difficult uh, in the beginning. 
um, or throughout. So that's a that's a, retweet, Dave. Yeah, retweet. That's a that's an important skill. Uh, you know, also, I mean, it just means that you're it just, it just means that maybe you have a perspective that other people don't have in 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 relation to in relation to hardship, adversity. Yeah, I will I say agree. that among the multiple people in our class who are in the military, I would say they on average have a much better ability than myself at like coming up with a schedule, managing a schedule kind of their discipline time management right. skills, which is a very beneficial thing in medical school and throughout your career that I've had to try to force myself to do that you'd already have. And I think that'd be very beneficial. Also, if you've been yelled at by a drill sergeant, yeah. getting pimped is like, whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. I would, yeah. I would assume. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'd say the biggest thing that jumps out to me and where they would have the biggest benefit is once they hit the wards. Uh, because I mean, from my understanding as a non-military participant ever in my life, um, they really have to work within the structure of a team and within that team, they have certain objectives that they have to, um, be able to do. And so once you get to the wards, that's kind of where that sort of sub skill set kind of starts really playing out, being able to work as, okay, you're a third year medical student, you're a fourth year medical student. I have these certain things I have to do, you know, in the morning, I have to be able to present my patient to the attending and get evaluated for that. And then ultimately I have to work with nurses, other residents, other staff to be able to complete whatever I need to do for my daily, my daily tasks. And so from that standpoint, when you first hit the wards, that can be very daunting because your head's just spinning and you're just trying essentially not to fall flat on your face. But or from, have a tree fall on you. Or have a tree fall on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to avoid those for the rest of my life. Um, but I could see how having that sort of background and understanding kind of how those roles work uh, in a professional setting going into that would be um, able to essentially kind of help you stand out right off the bat. That's a really good one. I think probably a lot of younger people who or people who don't have that experience really have to learn like, okay, what is this teamwork? You know, yes. how the hell does that yeah. work? Um, I did look around, uh, the university for other, um, you know, sort of support systems that, uh, we have in place here. First of all, um, thank you for your service. And there is a military group on campus salutes. It is called the university of Iowa veterans association. It's a student organization that provides opportunities for veterans, guard, and reservists and their spouses and dependents. They're all about sort of supporting the transition to civilian life. Um, they do meet weekly. Uh, they also offer some things that might be relevant to med students who are vets, like veteran peer advising, on-campus uh, an on-campus vet center with lounge space if you don't want to study at Murph. Maybe that would be a good place to hang out. Um, computers and free printing, interview skills development. Uh, referrals for mental and physical health support services. I mean, we have that too here um, in the within the College of Medicine, but um, they might have specific, more specific um, uh, services that they can provide in that regard. There's a website uh, here at the university where you can find out more about the veteran community. Um, they say they have uh, 22 or 2,260 veterans, dependents, and active duty military members on campus. Um, and you can find out more about that at veterans.uiowa.edu. 
Um, and within the CECOM itself, there's a military healthcare interest group, um, which would be something to join if you are staying in the military after you get your MDM, assuming that that's uh, what that's all about, right? Um, so, uh, listeners, if uh, if you if you found our speculation to be true, um, then I would love to hear that. If our speculation was not true, what should they do about that? Uh, I guess they should also tell us that, but be kind. We don't know what we're talking about. We don't about. know what we're talking about all the time. <laughs> Could be wrong. Yeah. 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 I'd also like to say that you probably would be a big hit at rotations at the VA. Sure. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. You'd be amongst people, your people. Yeah. The, yeah. How big is the VA in terms of your education? I mean, it, Inter- a lot of internal med there. Mm hmm. Did you guys spend a lot of time at the VA during certain rotations? I did. Yeah. I also did inpatient psych over uh, there okay. as well. Yeah, you can do surgery. I know they have like an orthopedics. Can you can you choose to do that? Like, if you want to do internal medicine at the VA, you can make it a priority. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not that you always get it, but yeah. um, if that's kind of a system that you enjoy working with, then absolutely you can make it happen. Yeah. Cool. 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 Uh, yeah. Let us know. Uh, I mean, I hope you. If you. If you. Uh, if Coming to CECOM is part of your journey, uh, Salutes McGee. Um, please stop by my office uh, and uh, and say hello um, and join the uh, the Shortcode podcast. Love to have you on the show. Can I add one thing? Yeah. He mentioned the, the worry or about she. being- I think it was a she. Was it a she? Hmm. I apologize. Hmm. I apologize. It literally was a woman voice as well. <laughs> oh, also yeah. in a sultry <laughs> robotic voice. Donkey. <laughs> My apologies. His face is so red. Yeah. Okay, Jesse. It's okay. just a little warm in here now. I swear I didn't hit that tree either. Um, I was just going to say to that person um, that they were worried about being a non-traditional student. And I just wanted to be able to quickly state that do not worry about being a non-traditional student. Because there's a lot of people here that are non-traditional students in their own way. And they end up just being fine. Feel, yeah, I feel like non-traditional has become rather traditional in med in in med school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not. I guess it's not the the biggest group, but it's pretty close. I think they're like the yeah. cooler people, honestly. Oh yeah, like just like a person, like in like they've formed their personhood outside, and they come and bring really interesting things. So as yeah, a, we have as a, a traditional person. <laughs> yeah, we we do have a program um, called Introduction to Medical Education in Iowa which is um, a, a great idea to see if you can take advantage of uh, before you get here. So basically it's during the summer before you're in one year and you're sort of exposed. You sort of get into the swing of things over, uh, what is it, six or eight weeks? Um, I think it's eight weeks. Eight. I think eight. And uh, so you get sort of a, a head start on things like, um, on things like uh, biochemistry and anatomy. anatomy and things like that. Um, and a lot of people take advantage of it who maybe have been out of out of um, academics for a while um, or, or just otherwise feel like they they need to sort of get back into the swing of things or maybe they need a leg up in some way. Um, it's room is it's it's limited in space, um, but it's definitely something to consider um, asking about uh, because it's uh, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good deal. All right. Oh, we have another listener question Two. Listener questions. Ooh, jackpot. 
This one is from Crystal, who uh, is gazing into her future of debt and is a little concerned. Oh, God. <laughs> I was recently accepted to medical school. Yay. I have a question about student debt. <laughs> Yay. According to the AAMC, the average debt of a med student is about $200,000. To me, this seems like a low number considering tuition and room and board at med school. If we look at Carver, the cost for an in-state student for tuition, room and board, etc. is $60,000 and for an out-of-state student is $80,000. After four years, students would have way more than $200,000 worth of debt. It would be $240,000 to $320,000. Could you guys provide more insight into how it is that the average med student debt is only $200,000? I would also love other general tips on how to manage my future debt. I have a feeling that I could easily graduate with $600,000 after interest because I would still like to live comfortably during medical school, but it's definitely a scary number. And now I am considering just attending the cheapest school. <laughs> it is Debt is scary. Mm -hmm. Debt is very scary. I mean, you kind of get used to it, I think. Also, you don't have interest. Like, your interest is held off while you're in school, right? Wrong. Wrong. Okay. I've accumulated $15,000 of oh, interest no, in medical right. school. Oh, no, that's right. You just don't have to pay it. Yeah. It still hurts. Okay, so a couple things to unpack here. First of all, that um, that figure, the cost of attendance, as you say, that includes tuition, room, and board. It also includes a lot of other things, doesn't it? Yeah. Like? Personal uh, expenses. Right. Yeah. Like, I know they give us, like, $2,200 or something M one year to buy a laptop if you need one so you could shave off some money there um, I feel like at least at Iowa the living expenses estimate they give you is rather generous it's really generous like you yeah. can live really comfortably on that and I'm sure if you were worried you could cut back on it and still live comfortably here in Iowa City because it's not super expensive. Quick yeah. question. Are we all in state? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we can't quite do any sort of out of state experiences. But I would say from I am I am a married man who has a <laughs> sorry lady. Yes. <laughs> I, I am a married man. <laughs> wanna make sure that I'm a man. You know, I'm forty. I realize my voice it sounds nice, but I just wanted to get out oh there. <laughs> so GTFO <laughs> I was just going to say that I have an income that also helps kind of buffer that uh, scary number of all the loans that you take out. And so um, I would just reiterate that for those sorts of people, there are definitely ways to be able to skim off money um, and make sure that you're not taking as much as, say, some people who have to max out their loans. Um, I would say because of my wife's income, I was able to shave off close to a year's worth of tuition just because of the fact I had a second income. That's nice. um, yes, it's very nice. Uh, and so get married. Yeah. Some advice. That's, get married that, to somebody who is, you know, who's going to be your sugar, sugar daddy mm -hmm. or mama. Either one. Or, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just talking to Crystal. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I made a big, big wow, assumption there. We're making lots of assumptions. Wow. We are. Crystal. We're failing at 2020. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate my life. Uh, you can also give back loans. I yes. have given yeah. back loans at the end of the semester that I did not use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that medical students or students in general forget that our um, 
Office of Financial Aid people are now beginning to emphasize where they'll like send you reminders of, hey, you have up until this day that if you decide you took out too many loans, you can give them back and the interest won't affect you. Mm -hmm. But then if you wait till after that date, then you still have to kind of pay back the interest. And they're really good at encouraging us to give loans back if we don't need mm -hmm. them. Uh, did you guys uh, get any scholarships? Yeah. 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 I got what, what, some. I'm trying to think. If what, you were to guess at a percentage. Low <laughs> for me. Yeah. I think I got like a third of my tuition paid for every year. That's pretty good. That's yeah. Really like, I'm good. not mad about that. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. I got like thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, mm -hmm. drop in the bucket, but. No scholarship. Nothing for you. Yeah. Just just my wife's income. Like, you don't deserve. <laughs> they saw they saw that I had a second income. Like, eh. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So like an, for my for me, I'm kind of with Jesse. I'm not married, but I'm engaged. My fiance has a job, not super well paying, um, by any means. And we've been planning for a wedding, my tuition, that kind of stuff, her job. Um, all that and I've been able to return loans every semester and save up for the wedding and attempt to save up for like a down payment on a house all of that so yeah I can then kind of extrapolate that even without her income and not having to pay for a wedding and all of that you could live pretty comfortably here and talking to my friends it's sounds like you can live comfortably here yeah. just on the loans and not use all of it we have multiple friends who have essentially maxed out their loans and live in a in a very nice either apartment or house that they rent and then on top of that have been able to take one at least one vacation every year just to kind of get away it's and all about priorities you it's, know? It's, it, yeah it's really what you want to do within medical school like if if you're all about budgeting saving money trying to get as little debt as possible totally doable if you're all about i want to be able to still do the things i enjoy and that includes traveling or getting away or whatever things that you like to do, then you can absolutely do that in medical school if that's important to you. Yeah. Just, yeah. Now, you did mention interest. And uh, as we said, there is there is interest. I don't know if it, if it will accumulate to the point where, you know, you've paid off in the end $600,000. Seems that, like a lot. That seems high. I don't, I don't really think you need to worry th to that extent. Um, you'll be all right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess I haven't done the calculation to how much my interest will be if with the plan that I end I end mm -hmm. up doing like yeah. ten year repayment. Yeah. Yeah. I looked into this for myself last week, and I have a hundred and seventy thousand dollars in loans between undergrad and med school, and paying it off in ten years, I'd pay like an extra sixty thousand, I think, yeah. in interest. So it comes up to be like two hundred and. 30 240,000 um a lot of it depends on how many loans you have um kind of all together and then their individual interest rates and, and then, then how, yeah and then how much you're going to get paid after yeah and then uh, like, after school and and then if you like work somewhere that doesn't have loan forgiveness you can refinance to a lower interest rate which really cuts the overall expense of it going from our student loans right now i think are six some percent interest and you can refinance down to two to three percent interest which cuts a huge amount off yeah. um so there's ways that you can definitely minimize it mm -hmm. um also like it. in perspective 
we're going to be even like Jesse and I who are going into a specialty that's not particularly lucrative. Um, Street cash. <laughs> like we're going to be top percentile earners and there's people out there that have this amount of undergrad debt that aren't going to be earning as much. Yeah. So you have to keep that in perspective. And a fun little thing that you may not, mo- uh, at least I didn't know about this going into medical school is the idea of paid student loan forgiveness, which if you're willing to go down that route and you that would enjoy be public service, oh, loan public, yes. loan, lo, public service loan forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you're you. welcome. Um, if you're willing to essentially work in a, just a nonprofit organization, I believe for the first 10 years and you make payments all throughout those 10 years, then your debt gets wiped away after those 10 years. It's important to note to be careful with those programs. Um, in the sense that, you know, you really have to cross your I's and dot your T's. Oh, for sure. Dot, <laughs> dot your I's and cross your T's. Make your I's into T's. Make, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, because if you, if you do the paperwork so wrong, you do it. Dave, yeah. because he will <laughs> do the paperwork wrong. I'm not very good at paperwork. Um, yeah, you have to, you have to be careful with the paperwork because if you, if you screw that up, if you miss a deadline, then it could all go out the window. Um, so it's very important and there've been, you know, sort of a, some news stories in the past few years about, um, PSFL not working out for people. Um, and surprise, they had to pay the whole thing back and they weren't expecting that. So, I mean, I think it's a general guideline. I think it's a good idea to just, you know, if you say, you know, you said you wanted to live well, so I don't know what that means for you. Um, for me, that means, you know, nice car, nice house, um, eat out every once in a while, uh, whatever. That could mean something entirely different for you. So I'm not, I, I can only speculate. Um, but in general, uh, you don't need to spend a lot of money. There's no reason to spend a lot of money. I mean, you don't have a lot of time to spend a lot of money. Right. <laughs> and, you know, food's like true. my biggest expense yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, really prioritize where you want to spend your money. Uh, while you're in school and otherwise um, just don't um, and I always say live like a student when you're a resident and then live like a resident when you're a doctor and you'll get those loans paid off uh, in no time yeah so I agree and then splurge in retirement yes and then you can buy the boat or the helicopter or the helicopter or the what my mom and dad keep saying to me well you're gonna be the one buying our lake house and I'm like your lake house yeah, you can, I'm not even going to have a lake house. You can house. come stay at the lake house, mm-hmm. mom. Jeez. Maybe. Our parents. <laughs> Who do they think they you are? You can borrow yeah. my car. Well, you're going to give me a lake house eventually. It's like they friggin' raised you What or the something. heck? Yeah, disgusting. My mom listens to the podcast. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, Liza's mom. <laughs> Here's some news. If you're unlucky enough to need a heart transplant, but lucky enough to get one, there's still a long road ahead of you. Recovery is one thing. And then there's the immunosuppression drugs and the risk of rejection is, you know, ever present and all that kind of stuff. But for the first time, lab grown heart muscle tissue has been transplanted into a human patient. The cells are are grown from induced pluripotent stem cells. The iPS cells are, are sort of magically chemically coaxed. I guess not magically. I guess it's chemically coaxed to become heart muscle cells and, and they're formed into sheets. Um, when then, then they're sort of implanted onto the heart. The hope is that 
the blood cells secrete a protein that encourages the development of uh, blood cells or blood vessels to improve blood supply. And uh, you know, it could be a it could be a big thing. I like this idea. It's their own pluripotent ones. It is not, but pluripotent pl apparently IPS induced pluripot pluripotent stem cells uh, are less likely to generate an immune response than other stuff. Why, it's Abby Fife. Hello there. How are you, Abby Fife? I'm all right. Here. I'm happy to be here. Um, anyway, um, the, yeah. Uh, Do they still have to take in a rejection? I have lots of questions. I don't, they, I don't know. Okay. I would assume, I would assume Probably some. Probably not. Yeah. Well, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit less. Maybe a little bit. A pill or two. Um, the patient in this case had ischemic cardiomyopathy, which means that the heart doesn't pump well enough to get adequate blood supply. Am I getting that right? Basically, yeah. It's okay. good gist. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going into peed, so I don't really care anymore. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> this kid's going to have a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Kids come into the ER with, heart, with chest pain. They're like, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, like, what caused the reason for the heart transplant, there's, they still need a heart anyway, so. Yeah. Just give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's my philosophy. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm a simple man. You it's, are a simple yeah. man. They need a heart, give them a new one. Give them a heart. Yeah, it's, it's fine. All right. Uh, I've noticed something about myself recording this show every week. My voice is very loud compared to most others. Which means, according to new research, I'm going to infect you. Uh, the University of California Davis investigators say that the louder people talk, the more airborne particles they spew into the air. <laughs> Thus, they say, it stands to reason that loud talkers are a potential factor in the spread of disease. Did you travel to China anytime recently? I, no. Okay, just, just asking for a friend. <laughs> you stay on your side of the table. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a key finding is that loudness may be as important as sneezing or coughing for Gross. influenza transmission. So gross is there are, are there aside from me are there loud talkers in your life that you can think oh of? i'm definitely one you're a loud talker i'm the kind of guy where i will be talking to somebody and my and my wife will just bump me in the elbow and be like you need to, you need to calm down <laughs> even though i think i'm talking like regular like tone and volume i i can't i don't have a good like um, i'm glad i'm sitting right next to you as, as someone who hangs out with jesse outside of school yeah he does do this <laughs> he gets a little a little rowdy every once in a while. Feisty. Yeah. Do you get shouty after a few beers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it only takes maybe yeah. maybe one. I've been told, like, everywhere on the spectrum. Like, I've okay. been told from, like, Abby, nobody's ever going to hear you. And, like, like I was I was in charge of this thing in, in high school, like a, a sports thing. And I was, like, trying to get everybody together. And, like, literally no one could hear me at all. But then I've also been told, like, Abby, you need to... I think I get... When I get passionate, I get really loud. Yeah. But... Okay. I have a wide, a wide dynamic range of my voice. The researchers did find a group of people they call super emitters. <laughs> who hurl way more particles into the air than others, regardless of volume. Freaking ew. <laughs> This is super so emitter. Yeah, this, this is... sounds more like a saliva production problem yeah. than necessarily like how loud you are. You're, yeah. you're just leaking on everyone, projecting just oh, all your spittle gross. on on all the peoples. They say it would explain why some people are super spreaders, uh, capable of infecting unusually high numbers of people. 
Um, and there's, here's the thing that I, I look forward to. They plan to focus on whether certain speech sounds or languages impact the spewage. Um, so I guess like German, Dutch, Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a lot. A lot of that, like bringing up the phlegm. Phlegmy. The yeah. Very phlegmy. All this makes me think about is like the month I spent in the ICU. It's like in the hospital, everyone's super sick. There's infections everywhere. And then like the neurosurgery team comes around every morning to all their patients and are just like, John, open your eyes. <laughs> Like, right in their mouth. Yeah, like right next to their head. Like everyone's just screaming at these patients because they're like sedated or comatose or you things like, like that. I feel like their hearing would be fine. Yeah, so everyone just screams. And squeeze like, my finger. Squeeze my finger, John. Like, <laughs> like I was doing like GCS scales from across the ICU. Like, oh, okay, John's GCS is 14 today. Like, good job. Like, <laughs> and it's like 7 a.m. Yeah, I'm like half asleep drinking my coffee. Neurosurgery's been up for four hours already. Like, it's wild. So that's all I'm thinking about. It's just everything that we're spewing on our ICU patients as we're trying to wake them up to see how they're doing in the morning. I'm thinking of a very specific subfamily in my extended family, aka Brett Hansen. Oh, <laughs> his family. <laughs> He's my cousin. Oh, did you know I, did, I did not know that. But like his family, they're all loud talkers. And then when they get together, they're like build on each other mm. and they're always sick. The whole family, it will just spread the whole family. Coincidence? I think not. I don't know. Mm. They all had to get rabies shots. That's time. science. Oh. <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like one of seven. One of one of a lot of children. They so. all had to oh, get wow. rabies shots. Okay, we can't really talk about we can't, this. Probably, uh, yeah. We probably can't. But it, yeah, just as an example. <laughs> <laughs> rabies is, is rabies airborne? Is that? No, saliva born. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just don't get bit by a raccoon. Right. You have to have <laughs> a Brett puncture. Hansen. Or, Hansen. No. or if so, if you stab is, someone yeah. while talking loud with rabies, or if you're sleeping in a room. <laughs> this is also another side. If you're sleeping in a room and there's a bat in the room and you don't catch the bat. Yes. You have to get rabies shots. Yes. That is a. I have a friend. Oh, like in the office. Yeah. Oh, we're not allowed to do that on this show. What? what? Talk about one time I talked about Disney. You told me I couldn't do it. You said I, trademark trademark yeah but on the office when meredith gets trapped in a bag with the I bat i think i was probably joking oh I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay well on the office meredith gets trapped in the bag with the bat and mm. then like a month later michael hits her with the car and then uh, they have rabies, the rabies awareness yeah because they're like oh it was a good thing i hit her with the car so she could get her rabies shot <laughs> <laughs> i hear rabies shots are pretty painful right yeah. Never had one. Okay. Me neither. I, no, no. uh, my friend, who you know. Are you just living vicariously through random people? This is my, my friend, air quotes. Exactly. Uh -huh. Who was asleep and there was a bat in her apartment. Oh. I had to get them. Who you know. Yeah, I know. I know this. I know, you know this story. Who this is. We've probably talked about it on the show, I believe. Yeah. She, every time we see any kind of bat paraphernalia, yeah. apparently people are into bats, like bat pictures and bat shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Freaking bats. We send it to, yeah, we send it to her. She's like two cents. <laughs> I may not have an MD. I may not have a We P don't either. I may not have a PhD, but I know things, and that means I am qualified as a medical educator. 
which is, your disbelief is <laughs> congrats. Okay, continue with this sentence. I just yeah. Which is why I'm going to give you this pop quiz. Okay. Oh, oh let me have it. Today's topic: medical alcohol, medis, med, medicinal alcoholic beverages. Um, and if our lawyers are listening, please drink responsibly. Even if they aren't listening, please drink responsibly. Um, and all these questions, the information for all these questions came from reputable sources, uh, list articles on the internet. So I'm sure that they have been vetted properly. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still not 100% following what's going on. Oh, it's going to... Talk about, talk about booze. Okay. Are you ready for your quiz? Okay, yeah. Liza yeah. May. I love this topic. I'm, I'm Let's yeah. go. <laughs> All right. In 1886, Civil War Colonel John, Dr. John Pemberton. Oh, yeah, him. Started the development of this drink. It originally sold for five cents. Coke. Eventually, Pemberton added it to wine and another special ingredient, which in combination produced greater feelings of euphoria. Pemberton's patients included upper-class intellectuals who he believed suffered from the effects of urbanization and claimed his medicine was a treatment for everything from exhaustion, headaches, kidney, liver disease, hysteria. And he also recommended it as, quote, as, as a, quote, wonderful invigorator of the sexual organs. Coke. Can, can I? <laughs> I'm going to guess brandy. Oh. Okay. I'm guessing Coke still. All right. Oh, I don't know. Like cocaine. Like Oh, oh that Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Yeah, like, what would you combine with wine? I was going to say whiskey, but whiskey and wine would make me That was also what I was happy. thinking, like, but yeah, I don't know that it... But moonshine. Oh, this is I all like alcohol moonshine. related? I shouldn't have said. Okay. I like moonshine. I like that. Yeah. Mm. White lightning. Yeah. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with Derek on this. Okay. All right. No, uh, Liza is right. It is Coca-Cola. What? The drink's combination of wine and cocaine creates, uh, or created, uh, oh. coca-ethylene, responsible for that increased euphoria I mentioned, uh, as well as, I assume, to the, uh, invigorated sexual organs. You were on that within, like, ten seconds. Like, he had yeah. just <laughs> finished his first sentence in Coke. <laughs> I'm well versed in this. It's got to be it. Someone check Liza's nasal septum. <laughs> it's trashed. All right. This beverage is known as the Green Fairy. It's 120 proof. It was especially popular in 19th century Paris. Its medicinal effects were supposedly the alleviation of indigestion, intestinal worms, rheumatism, scabs on virgins. <laughs> wow. Ooh, specific. And childbirth pains. Uh, but it was also reviled in the early 1900s as uh, it seemed to cause tremors, convulsions, and hallucinations. Though we know now that it was probably just alcoholism and withdrawal. Ooh. Should we say it on one, two, three? One, two, three. Absinthe. Absinthe. Very good. Uh, artists and writers of the Belle Epoque in France believe the wormwood in the drink caused hallucinations that inspired their works and helped the muse strike. Have you seen the movie Moulin Rouge? Uh-uh. It's one of my faves. Okay. I drank it on there. I don't know. Fair enough. I was like, where you can get it now. Where are you going with this? It know. used to be out. It used to be banned, but mm -hmm. like, apparently you can get it now. I don't know if it like real contains stuff. the same. Yeah. To stay on. I doubt it contains wormwood, for instance, which I think is probably not, not especially good for you, but well, you know, you know, it's fine. It's all about the dose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Moderation is key, Dave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anesthesiologist. So the, yeah, you know, anesthesia. We're just like, oh, whatever. Just, <laughs> it's absent, but, you know. <laughs> All right. This beverage was hailed by the classical Greek physicians as efficacious in treating wind. 
bad breath, cancer, wounds, constipation. Hippocrates himself considered it indicated for the treatment of many things, except those conditions that featured an overpowering heaviness of brain. Jesse? I mean, just... I got literally nothing. I'm thinking wine. Okay. Yeah. But that seems so easy. I know. They're, what else did they have back then? Uh, I mean... I don't. Uh, I, I I think Hippocrates seems like a wine kind of guy. Really big into Merlots. <laughs> yeah, I really think so. Oh no, he's definitely a Pinot Grigio guy. Oh, for real? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know him. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> know a guy. I know a guy. Yeah. Eight ounce steak. Yeah. No, I have no idea, Dave. All right. Well, the answer is wine. Okay. I'm so freaking good at this. You are I'm good. I'm just gonna point that out. You are good. <laughs> three for three. I mean, this is not even multiple choice. I, I mean, I know. All right. Very good. I love wine. I'm a, I'm a Pinot Grigio man. Oh, my man. Ew. Um, I don't know. I just drink whatever's in the bottle. What do you best pair with a Pinot Grigio? Fish. Oh, more Pinot Grigio? <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. Trick question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The physician Arnaldus de Villanova considered aquavitae a cure for all ailments. He noted that it was a prophylactic treatment for plague and said it was suited to every age, every time, and every region. It, 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 it comforts the heart, heals sores on the head. So many sores. Helps with digestion and can treat bladder diseases and the bites of mad dogs. Speaking of rabies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it also promoted courage and memory. Uh, what's the more common name of this beverage? Who was the doctor? Yeah, what was his name? Yeah. Who was the doctor? Yeah. Uh, Arnaldus de Villanova. And no, I don't know. Hmm. What time? What hmm. the? I don't even time? know when. I'm gonna say beer. Okay. All right. Sounded kind I'm of. I'm gonna go with whiskey. No. Okay. Hmm. Any guesses over there? Yeah. Oh uh, wait, I got tequila. <laughs> okay. No. The answer's no. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just you watch. I think you're wrong. <laughs> but I. Just be on my side. I don't know. Yeah, I'll join Liza. She's on a hot streak. So. Okay. Beer. No, uh, it was brandy. Ah, uh, in Gascony, a southern, a province of southern France, it has they have a low rate of cardiovascular diseases, according to the list article I read. Uh, is it coincidence that this is where the brandy Armagnac is made? I think not. That's just science, right there. Facts. <laughs> you know, beer though uh, is I I have read beer is was an important source of nutrients and and also it would allowed people to to drink water that might otherwise be contaminated yeah when it was like for all the people of all the world yeah and like all the places all the places i was like that's beer but yeah. whatever i'm only a little bit heart heartbroken all right streaks over well <laughs> maybe you'll bring maybe we'll bring it back it'll live long maybe you'll maybe you'll bring it back on we'll this make line. a banner this cocktail ingredient was supposedly invented by German-born Dr. Johann Siegert in the 1820s to treat tropical stomach ailments in Venezuela, where he worked as a senior army doctor. Uh, its base is gentian, an herb thought to contain a chemical that dilates blood vessels, but its actual recipe as made by Buffalo Trace Distillery is a secret. Uh, it's important for a drink beloved in New Orleans, the Sazerac. Sazerac? I'm going to go with Sazerac, part of the recipe for which... Involves pouring a few drops onto a sugar cube. 
Jaeger. Jin. Jaeger. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out here. <laughs> I just like that. What is Jaeger? I mean, Buffalo Trace, they're they're famous for their whiskey. So I feel like I got to I, I got to go with that. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, saying gin. Okay. I'm saying whiskey. Mm-hmm. And the sugar cube made me think of uh what the um what's the drink? The old fashioned. I was wondering if that's what it was in reference I to. I see. I see. Uh, the answer is bitters. Oh. Okay. It's part of an old-fashioned. Bitters is part of an old-fashioned. Yeah, fashion. yeah. Mm. Though Dr. Seagert allegedly invented what became Angostura bitters, traces of similar extracts of bark leaves, roots, and flowers have been found at Egyptian tombs, and the Romans sometimes infused them into wine for digestion purposes. Okay, this is completely off-topic. Can I say it? Yeah. Okay, it's about Egyptians. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's see we've read lightly we've offended the military <laughs> no no we've no like Asian i've offended females we've offended <laughs> females. females and gay and, and especially gay females uh let's offend some egyptians well, ancient egyptians can they still be offended uh Whatever. you know um so my really nerdy boyfriend sent me this article apparently it was published in nature and these people I mean, by people, I mean scientists. They, um... <laughs> it's a very specific... Yes, thank you. They, like, used, I don't know, science to create, like, the voice box of this mummy. I did read that. And this is the voice that they got out of it. Ready? Uh... <laughs> that was it! I was so... That was it! I know, I was... I was so... like, I'm reading this in an article. I'm like, this is so cool. And then I, he's like, then he sent me the link to the... And it was just that. I was like, okay. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Well, it's that time of year when uh, students are about to head off to college, and maybe some of those folks, uh, maybe even you, are already thinking about going to medical school afterwards. So I thought it would be helpful to do a series of short discussions on how to kill it as a pre-med that we're calling pre-med consults. Here to help me with that today is a medical student and author of the new Kaplan Publishing book, Making Pre-Med Count. Everything I wish I'd known before applying successfully to med school. Welcome, Elizabeth Fassus. Hi, it's so nice to be here. So uh, I'm glad you could come talk to us. What are some of these things that students can begin to do and be thinking about early on in their um, academic careers to prepare for medical school? Awesome. So I would say as a freshman, the first thing that you want to do is really explore your options, right? Make sure that medical school is for you as best you can, right? Do you actually like the biologies, the chemistries, the physics, all of those courses that you're going to have to be doing for the next, you know, 10 years if you go down this road? Um, And then as soon as you've decided that that's what you want to be doing, try to do as best as you can in it. You know, the earlier you can solidify those grades, that GPA, the easier it's going to be for you down the line. There's something to be said for an upward trajectory, but it's always nice if you can if in your grades, but it's always nice if you can start out strong, isn't it? Absolutely. And the classes are going to get harder. Um, of course, you're also going to get better, right? You're going to know how to study and how to handle classwork. But again, the the stronger foundation you start from, you're just going to be making your life a whole lot easier. So are there um, some things that maybe sh- students really shouldn't be worrying about uh, this early on or, or doing? Yeah. So I would say the biggest mistake that I see with freshmen is... 
students trying to kind of pigeonhole themselves really early on and saying like, oh, I'm definitely going to go to medical school. So I have to do this volunteer thing at a hospital or I have to, you know, do research right away. Right. Freshman year really is an opportunity to explore all the stuff that you have available to you on your college campus. So don't lose that opportunity just because you think you're definitely going to want to go to medical school. You have plenty, plenty of time to do like good medical school application stuff um, later on. So just explore, find out what you're passionate about. Um, and yeah, just don't give that opportunity up early on. It, and you don't have to do just medical schooly stuff. Absolutely. Uh, to, to, to have a good application, do you? I mean, For there's, sure. there's so many things that you can, that you can do, um, that may not at first glance have anything to do with being a medical student or a pre-med. Absolutely. So the medical school application is going to give you a lot of opportunity to talk about who you are as an applicant. And there are a lot of things that you can do, just like you're saying, that are not necessarily like med school specific that will still show who you are. So like if you're a musician, for example, what let's say you spend a lot of your time kind of giving back, giving your music to people at a nursing home, right? That shows that you're a giving, caring person and that you want to be giving your talents to other people. That's an incredible quality that medical schools are going to be looking for. Um, so definitely there's a way to talk about everything and anything that you do. So yeah, just don't pigeonhole yourself, I think is is really important. Okay, but what if you need to work your way through college? So and you can't you can't necessarily spend all your time doing activities and things. Absolutely. And medical schools recognize and appreciate that. Um, if you can get yourself into a kind of more medically related job that would help, um, like scribing or being an EMT, um, obviously that's not available to everyone. Um, and but there is, again, like I'm saying, a lot of opportunity on the application to explain that, to tell your story. Um, and, you know, a student that worked 40 hours a week. That shows a lot of perseverance, a lot of grit. Again, things that medical schools want to be seeing. So is there a, you know, one thing uh, people often uh, wonder about is, is what, what should my major be? Mm. Is there a particular major that students should declare or a set of majors that, uh, that they should um, declare to make themselves more competitive as applicants? Yeah. So I've heard a lot of people saying to me like, oh, I have to be a bio major. I have to be a chemistry major. That's absolutely not true. The only requirements that you're going to have to actually apply to medical school is to have finished the pre-med requirements, which is um, something like 10 to 12, depending on what school you're applying to classes, um, you know, your gen bios, your gen chems, biochemistry, things like that. But other than those classes, you have ultimate flexibility to do anything you want to do. Um, and still, again, just be able to talk about it, why you like it, why you're passionate, um, and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's interesting to note that um, somewhere between 18 and 20 percent of our applicants mm -hmm. are um, humanities majors. Yeah, I had a humanities minor, uh, so I, I think it's there's a lot of value in that, I think. So it, it, what is the most important thing in your estimation you know, for a successful application, what should a uh, student as they're beginning this journey be, be focusing on um, for a successful application? Yeah. Um, so I think the theme of the application, right, when you're writing about yourself for those, you know, 10 or 15 pages is I really want to be a good doctor and I really think that I'll make a great doctor, right? That's the ultimate message that you're trying to get across. So I would say as you're trying to build, you know, your life for four years at college, think about how does this reflect the values that I want to be showing about myself? 
right? How you spend your time talks about what's important to you. So just making sure that you're spending time and committing yourself to things that reflect who you are as a person and ultimately what kind of physician you'd like to be. And I suppose most of all, just keep in mind, uh, don't do the Dave Etler plan where you uh, <laughs> almost flunk out of uh, freshman year. I mean, you, you can come back from that. Exactly. Certainly, you know, if you if you make that mistake, you can definitely come back from it. But uh, I imagine it would be a long, hard road. Yeah. I mean, if you can avoid that, it would probably be better. But it's definitely you can Dave. come back. <laughs> yeah. Wisdom from Dave. Uh, you know, Elizabeth, I, I really do like uh, having the opportunity to bring you on the show um, because I like to um, show med students from outside the University of Iowa even, um, especially when they're doing or, or having done something interesting and getting a book published like you've done with Making Pre-Med Count is very interesting to me, um, considering, especially considering that I work in this uh, college's writing and humanities program. How, how did you how did you do it? Did you mean to do this from the beginning? <laughs> Um, so I always joke that like when I was little, I really wanted to be an author, right? That's always kind of been something that I've loved. Um, but this particular opportunity kind of like fell into my lap. Um, I am a tutor for Kaplan. Kaplan kind of started this smaller publishing arm called 750 Publishing. And they reached out to their employees saying, you know, we're looking for people to write books on um, kind of professional um, and personal development. And this is kind of what my personal idea was. And they liked it. And it kind of went from there. What? How long did it take you to do? Oh, gosh. So I started writing. So I submitted, I should say, my sample chapter in June of 2018. And it just got published this month. So January 2020, I guess a year and a half. Yeah. That's not too bad for a for a book, as I understand it. I mean, that's pretty good. I agree. Um, I think I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, I personally had a lot of pressure on myself because I wanted to get it written before I started medical school. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it could have been it could have been longer for sure. Well, uh, the next time we um, do a pre med consult, uh, Elizabeth and I will talk about the late blooming pre med mm -hmm. and how they can get started on the path mm -hmm. to an MD. Uh, until then, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Elizabeth Fassus is a medical student at the University of Maryland. She did her undergrad studies at Johns Hopkins, got her Master of Science in International Health Policy at the London School of Economics. Her book, Making Pre-Med Count, Everything I Wish I'd Known Before Applying Successfully to Med School, is published by Kaplan and is available now. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to clinic. <laughs> oh, well, huh. we're at the end of our rope anyway. That is our show. Guys, thank you for being my co-host today. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Short Coats, for making us part of the week. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are available. I remind you that your questions are vital to the show because they mean the show can be like what you want it to be about or some grammatical variation of that sentence. Uh, so uh, write to us at theshortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave us a message at 347shortct just like Crystal and Salutes did. Uh, we'll talk about it on the show. And while your, podcast, while your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and a review to let us know if we're doing right by you. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. <laughs>